Welcome to the New Era Property and Business Podcast. I'm Rick Gannon and I'm a property investor, trainer and mentor and best-selling author. If you are interested in any of our property mentoring services, then please contact me via my website, which is www.neweraPropertySolutions.co.uk. And please don't forget to take a look at my five times best-selling book, House Arrest. House Arrest is a manual for new property investors, which shows you how you can replace your income by investing in property. That's available on Kindle, it's available on paperback, and it's also available on the Audible store. Hi everyone and welcome back to today's podcast and today we have the privilege and the pleasure of interviewing HMO investor Tracy Woods and Tracy has a company over in Stevenage and invests quite heavily in HMO so hi Tracy. Hello there, Rick. Thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast. You're very, very welcome. Tracy, we've got loads of burning questions we want to ask you because we know that you've been investing now for quite some time. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what is your experience in the property world? Okay, well, I came here, well, I got involved in property 17 years ago now, which uh, is a long, long time ago. Um, but as with a lot of people, you do things and you don't really know whether you're doing things in the right way. Um, and we were pretty novice when we got in, involved in property, started off with buy to lets um, and bought a, a two or three down in South Wales because they were cheap. And um, I suppose at that time it was convinced that we should do something in property. I'd already let out my house that I owned when I moved in with my husband. And it was a case of well, let's build up the portfolio, but actually doing the same thing that a lot of people do, which is take your money, invest it. And once you run out, you don't do any more. And for, for me, the, the big change came about around um, 2012 when I decided that if I was going to do more in property, and that came from reading the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. Literally, it was reading that that changed my thinking and made me think, we're already doing what he says to do. Now we just need to do a bit more. But rather than just taking a, a punt and see what happens. Let's learn and, and be educated a bit more into how we could do it. And that education then brought us to the, the world of HMOs because I knew that at that time it was, I wanted to get out of my job. I was employed at that time within the software industry and, and I wanted to get rid of that job. It was ma mainly sparked off because my, my father unfortunately passed away before he reached the age of 65. And, and I looked at that situation and began to think, you know, where is my life going to go? Is it going to go down the same road where I work until the day somebody says you can retire? And then that's when you're supposed to enjoy yourself, but maybe never, ever get to that point. So that's my experience, if you like, within property. And it's been quite a journey since 2012 with um, doing you know, our own property and then launching some businesses in property too. So it's been great fun. Okay. So you say you know, 17 years you've been investing in property. Well, what do you think's changed, Tracy, in that time? 
Oh, gosh, there's a lot that's changed mm. in that time. And I suppose one of the biggest things was the being able to, to learn about things. I mean, obviously, the housing market, you know, we went through the 2000. I rented out my own home, didn't want to sell it, so kept it. I rented that out. Then 2003, 2004, we bought the buy in South Wales and went through all the nightmares of, um, you know, low-end properties. You get lower-end tenants that can give their own problems in their own way. And the, then seeing the, the crash in the housing market, because at that time when we did the four properties in South Wales, we were able to you know, buy for cash, refinance immediately after we'd done it up and, and make our money back and not leave anything in. And obviously, moving forward to 2012, that was very, very different. You know, the housing market had gone through the crash in the mid 2000s. It was not looking that great. And for me, it actually scared me off to a certain extent. It was, is property really something to stay in for the long term with the hassles that you can have with them? But it's the, the changes in property and being educated to understand that property does go around in cycles. And, you know, you've got the rental market, you've got the, the purchasing market, and there's going to be the ups and downs of both of those. And being to, able to understand them, I think you you end up looking at property as something like, okay, it's not going to be a straight road. I've got to um, take a course and if I have to divert slightly or change tax slightly then you do and that that is from experience and education I believe okay I mean what 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 drove you into it what was your reason why my reason why was literally wanting to get out of being employed and wanted to have freedom and choice of when I worked, obviously passive income was a huge thing and being able to say, I'm not working at all to achieve this thousands of pounds coming in per month because of the HMO strategy, that was actually my my aim, was to get out of my job, have the passive income that paid all the bills and then anything over and above that was a bonus mm. and that turned out you know that turned into businesses where in some instances you work harder than you do when you're actually employed fantastic i mean i know it's about three years ago i hope you don't mind me saying this so you actually interviewed me for one of your podcasts so it's a real pleasure for me to be able to sort of come back you know after so long um and sort of kind of return the favor for you so i know that you're full of energy tracy and you know you're very very focused um and you know your reason why you just explained that to us so what would you say your your highest values in life were um freedom and choice definitely um money is definitely one of my high values not in the way that you know i'd do anything for money but i believe that money does make the world go round and with more money that is as long as it's generated in an ethical way and you know with with property you and i both know as as hmo people that we are providing a service and making money from that is obviously the upside so i think to ever go forward in life you your values have to reflect the things that you work hard to achieve mm. and getting an increase in income so to give more freedom and choice 
travel is really high on my agenda as well. So um, I love to, to see the world and actually go as far as I can, as often as I can. And that was one of the the things when when we built up a portfolio where the income had replaced my income um, from my job, it was, well, let's get out of that and then start to go away. And and now it's, you know, virtually every month I'm doing something. So travel's definitely high up there too. Good. Okay. You mentioned sort of replacing your income. I mean, do you mind me asking you, Tracy, how long it took you to do that from the point of you starting investing in the HMO strategy? Yep, it was um, it was eighteen months. So, so it took you eighteen months from um, from from a standing start with relatively no HMO experience. Exactly, I had no HMO experience. The first HMO I did, um, I always would say to people as I went through the the process of actually encouraging other people to do HMOs that the first one is never going to be your best one. Okay. And I can definitely say it wasn't in my circumstances, but and it was a big, big learning. And, uh, you know, it's, it's OK being educated in a classroom, but there is nothing like doing it in real life. And you come across the things that um, you, you don't expect and you learn from them. And then the next project that you do, it, it gets better. But, yeah, it, it took me 18 months and then I handed in my notice and became full-time property and, and went on to help more and more people do property as well. And do you think it's passive, Tracy? Do you think property is a passive income? That's a really good question. And I, I if I'm honest, no, it's not completely passive. Um I always went into HMOs saying to myself that I would never manage them. So I always looked for a good managing agent, which, again, in its, uh, has its own problems with uh, what you do and who you find that can do the job properly. We all know, you know HMOs can be very difficult to manage. You have to keep on top of them. And I've had some bad experiences with that, too. But but generally, my view was I don't want to manage them. I don't want to be the person that these tenants contact when the light bulb in the fridge goes out or, you know, the, the boiler's not working. It's, it's, you know, all the things that we have an experience in the world of property. I didn't want to be involved in it. And it has worked really well. So it's made it, I would say, probably 90% passive because most months will go by all, all the tenants are looked after by the letting agent and I don't have to get involved. And and the other side to that is, you know, I, I've given my letting agent the ability to say, yes, we will fix something up to a £500 budget. Mm. They tell me what's being done, but they don't have to come and ask me all the time. And that was my choice to actually push it away as far as possible and not be so involved in it. However, yeah. you do... You know, I have I learned the hard way because I handed everything over to an agent initially when I got my first couple of HMOs and the presumed that the agent was going to do everything they needed to do. And actually, the properties went really downhill because they weren't being managed. And, and unless that agent is going around there on a regular basis, you know, you 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 just are going to end up with problems. So I then chose to say, well, actually, I do need to go and see my HMOs a little bit more frequently than I was. You know, it wouldn't bother me if I never saw them again, but that happened. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, you're very right because a lot of people will sort of come into property thinking it is going to be 
a passive income and it's not I don't think it's ever going to be what we can try and do is make it as passive as we can by putting systems and processes in place um, to take us away from that frontline management but sometimes you do have to you know manage the manager as well and you know as professional property investors I think you know we know an awful lot more than most property managers know anyway but it's a really good point and I think anyone listening you know it's and I'm I'm always an advocate of you know being very transparent and say look you know property is not going to be passive it is going to be hard work certainly whilst you're setting up your business at the beginning but the um you know more systems and processes that you put in place the easier it will become and then we can perhaps start to think about setting and forgetting so tracy let's talk about some projects so um i've got um you know a really burning um i'm, I'm very nosy as an ex-police officer uh, <laughs> and i hope it's okay with you because i'm going to ask you about some figures in a minute if you don't mind sharing but what was the last project you worked on can you walk us through um where it was what it was how long it took you to get there and what the numbers were okay um well i'm not really a numbers person <laughs> so um i'm more the the fluffy person and nigel always used to focus on the numbers which is good to have somebody else that does those aspects but i can give you a, a quick overview on on what that project was Sounds and good. some of some of the main aims for it so um, on the back of obviously building my own portfolio, I then um, built a business called Tamworth Property Partners. And that was actually to help other people get into HMOs in my local area. So I became the Stevenage expert, if you like, to do projects for customers. So these customers would buy the project. I would find the property for them and then manage the whole conversion and then furnished and dressed them and then actually referred them over to my letting agent who I've got a good relationship with. So the the last project that I did was, I mean, as with any area, Stevenage has continued to go up in value with regard to the prices of property. Um the last project we actually purchased for £285,000, which for a lot of people that invest in different areas of the country, that would actually sound like a lot of money to be paying for a property. And that property was a, a four-bedroom house that um, we actually converted into six rooms, and every room did have an ensuite, which I know is um, is something that, We'll talk about a little bit more afterwards. But um, <laughs> the so every room had an ensuite. One of them actually had a bathroom that was outside of the bedroom, but it was a dedicated bathroom for them. So six rooms, um, six um, bathrooms, and the actual project itself cost nearly £100,000 to convert it. It was a three-storey house, so we had all of the... Um, the fire controls, if you like, being put in place, which are a lot higher than if you've got a, a standard two-storey house. Um, and literally, we relocated the kitchen because the kitchen was in an awkward area. We relocated that as well. So there was a lot of work done in this property, including a garage conversion that was one of the, became one of the bedrooms. So it was quite a large project. And all what we aim for when we do any project is that there is at least a thousand pounds per month net cash flow in it and with my customers it was always a case of when I found a project I was always very conservative with the numbers and would you know tell them 
the uh, roughly estimate as far as the the conversion or the refurb that we were going to do. However, this is the the income you're likely to achieve. And when I presented the figures on this project, it came out at eleven hundred a month, and that was me being quite conservative. Stevenage, although the house prices have gone up in value, the rental income value has gone up as well with regard to rooms um i mean a great example you know the first hmo that i did in stevenage was i suppose you could refer to it as a minimo because it was only four rooms and the the room rates that i was achieving then were you know about 400 pounds a month and that was without en suites so i didn't do any en suites in that property and then, but now, you know, we're up to £500 a month. Wow, that's we're, massive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a big difference, but I still believe that the the prices of the property has made it harder to achieve the returns that I would have been likely to get then. So Absolutely, the yeah. Down. But it's, you know, it, from investors' point of view, it is a case of looking at looking at the property and saying what what do you want to get out of it is it mainly the cash flow because if it is just cash flow that you're interested in maybe investing in somewhere like Stevenage where the properties you know we're only 30 miles north of London so the property prices are going to be quite high therefore your return is not going to be as good or would it be better to get cash flow to invest somewhere a little bit further north that would be cheaper for you and i found that the people i worked with didn't want just the cash flow they were looking at that capital growth as well okay fantastic i mean that sounds like a really great project you know and getting that kind of cash return per month is uh, you know it's working let's talk about en suites it's a great segue into en suites really he's mentioned en suites um yeah. my, my first question was going to be do you do en suites well now you've told me that you do um what are your thoughts on this tracy because i know that you know everyone's got their own opinion when it comes to en suites so several yeah. sort of spurs to this question so the first one is what do you think the benefits are of providing en suites rooms um well <laughs> i think ensuite rooms are very much in demand in our area they seem to be very much in demand you never pro- never have a problem renting out an ensuite room however um although the project i just described was um all ensuites and i have done a few of them when i first started investing in hmos hmos was a lot newer then so there weren't so many people doing it and um, although there were people doing it and there were rooms to rent it wasn't as popular as it is now and back then I suppose being a little bit more wary of whether it was going to work or not I actually chose not to do a lot of en suites in my properties so I looked at a property and I would look at the potential to maybe add one ensuite if there wasn't already one there and have the main bathroom and then have like five or six rooms. So you've got the two bathrooms covered as long as you've got another toilet. So it was thinking about the layout of the property, but actually not doing too much to it in case in the future HMOs went out of the window, I could then convert it back to a residential family home and I would still have got the capital growth in the property, but I still had a a, a double exit, if you like, with regard to what I could do. So initially my views on adding and changing the property too much was that don't do it. 
it's better to not do too many en suites. I ended up doing more of them as the market grew with regard to HMOs locally because those luxury, more luxurious ensuite rooms were definitely in demand. And the returns that you could get because the house prices have started going up were far better. So, but I also believe that within Stevenage, you know, I've still got my HMOs that have not got en suites in them. They've got a couple of bathrooms which are shared, but no en suites. Now, those properties still rent out. I don't have a problem renting them. So, although there is a demand for en suite rooms, there's also a demand for people who can't afford to pay for en suites. So, it, it really is about your market that you're in, in all honesty. What do you think about, um, there's a, you know, a lot of chatter on some of the property forums at the moment about certain councils charging yeah. individual council tax for rooms that have en suites. Is that something that you're starting to see in Stevenage? Well, interestingly, I did a project last year for a customer and that project, uh, again, was a four bedroom house. We converted the garage, turned it into six bedrooms and um, we had three en suite rooms. So it was half and half. And that was the first project ever that we we had done where the valuation office um, actually contacted the owner of that property, my client, and said, we understand you've converted it into rooms. We want to come and have a look at it. And they came around and, and looked at the property and then told her that they were going to impose the individual room council tax. She um, actually did appeal against it or started the appeal process. Um, and in fact, she, as yourself, is an ex-police officer. So she understands the, um, I suppose, the, the rules about, well, what can people share about information um, in the local area? And she actually found out that by questioning them, that there were no other HMOs in Stevenage that had been banded on an individual room tax. So she said, well, why am I then? <laughs> because it's not the norm. This is not what you do. And she'd already done two HMO projects with me prior to that, which hadn't been banded. I had done, you know, I, I actually completed 16 projects in total for customers and none of them had been separately banded. Now, she actually did win against them and they withdrew it. And she's now back on a, a standard council tax. My view on it, um, you see a lot of HMOs where they have they've effectively created studios. So by that, I mean not just an ensuite. It is a kitchen area as well within that room. So they are becoming studios if somebody looks at that, then it is a self-contained unit. So should it have its own council tax? Mm -hmm. Probably, yes, it should. But if there are shared facilities, and in this example, you know, there were three rooms that didn't have a bathroom. They had to share a bathroom and they all shared kitchens. So there were no kitchenettes within these rooms. I don't think they are suitable to be taxed on an individual basis because it is a shared house. I agree with that, Tracy. I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that because um, we contacted the local VOA for us where we are. And we asked that question and said, look, you know, we're, we're going to lose a confused messages here. Um, what, 
what is it you look for when you look at singly banding a property? And they said they look for uh, properties that are self-contained, and that means you can sleep, you can wash, you can use the toilet, and you can cook. So basically, it's a unit of accommodation that you don't need to leave to do anything else. Yeah. So if we use that and have that as a standardization across the whole of the country, it would be a lot easier for the likes of you and I and other you know, HMO property investors to know what they can and what they can't do. But it seems at the moment that it is very subjective and um, people are being uh, charged individual council tax and I know like the example you just gave now if people do uh, appeal against it then I think there is a very good chance that you know they will say yeah okay fair enough upon appeal but it shouldn't be like that should it you know we should have um, a very open page as to know what we can and what we can't do so yeah I mean yeah. we've got a very very similar feeling uh, you know about that we do do HMO um, on suite rooms they do go for a premium and they do sell quicker but you know if it is going to be something that we have to start considering in the future maybe we have to change our strategy Tracy you know in the private rental sector and certainly the press love to castigate landlords. They love to put all the bad stuff about landlords on the front page because it sells newspapers. You know, nobody likes a good news story. People like to buy all the bad stuff. So I think, you know, as private landlords, we do get a little bit of bad press and we get statements against us such as that we gobble up all of the housing stock and fat cat landlords and, you know, slum landlords and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, what yeah. do you think about the, um, the, the, the attitude of the press towards private landlords? Do you think it's just... I definitely don't. I think um, the world without us private landlords would be a very, very sorry state because it's it, you know there is no way that the the government can provide enough housing for everybody. And and in fact, we have recently just gone through the um, implementation of Article Four within Stevenage, which has um, in effect. <laughs> shot down my business completely um, it, because we, the housing stock within my area just cannot accommodate the planning regulations that they are now imposing. Now, the, uh, whilst the Article 4 was being considered and there were a lot of consultations about it, the, the biggest thing for them was about parking. And as a person that has lived in Stevenage for a lot of years, it's, it's a new town, you know, it's terrace after terrace after terrace of, of new properties built in the 50s and 60s. And it's expanded and you've got the new build areas with more of the townhouse style properties because they want to get more properties on, on the space and the land, which is fine. But actually, when you look across Stevenage, there was never going to be enough parking for, you know, from the 1950s when there were very few cars or hardly anybody had cars, you were privileged to have a car compared to today when you take a family home where there might be, um, you know, four adults, children grown up, etc. in there. And every single one of them has got a car. So my belief is that there would never have been enough parking for a normal family environment within a lot of properties within Stevenage. And they've had to make changes to accommodate it. You know, some of the green areas have now been turned into parking areas, which was going to have to happen. But now they're imposing Article 4, and, and the biggest thing being the parking, my argument was, well, actually, 
in my HMOs, these are professionals that come to the area on a contract basis, and the majority of them don't even drive. So, you know, they, they are, they've relocated to the area to do a job, and they don't very often bring their cars with them. So the, a lot of people don't have a car. So we're not adding more to it. And with regard to the demand within Stevenage, yes, okay, we've got a lot more HMOs now than we did when I first started. They're, they're a lot better standard now than they were when I first started. But the demand is still there. So these people are coming into the area and needing somewhere to live. If we hadn't done those, you know, 16 projects for customers and my own HMOs as well, where would those people be living? Nobody else is providing the accommodation for them. And that was my biggest oh, beef against the the council imposing Article 4. It, I understand that some neighbours, you know, if you get a if you get a house in a street that can be converted into a HMO, then every one of the houses that's the same could be converted into a HMO. And I understand that if you've got one of those houses in the middle and you've got five HMOs around you, it might not be a nice environment. But you know, one of the things I focused on was always making the neighbours aware that the HMOs unfortunately do have a bad name with with people that don't understand them and I used to invite the neighbors around show them what we were doing tell them that it was for professional people this isn't going to turn into some drug house that you know you've got um people who are you know not earning not working and just staying there all day causing trouble and smoking whatever they should uh, or shouldn't rather and <laughs> um, it, I try to help people to understand that the world of HMOs isn't always what it's made out to be, but that's yeah. quite a hard job. It is, and that's a great story. And I know that I can certainly relate to that as well. And we, we go through that on every project we do. We do something very similar. We invite them around and say, look, you know, these are photos of you know, some of the houses that we've done in the yeah. past, and this is what this is going to look like. And I, yeah. can, I can say that with my hand on my heart that every single person that we have had... Um, um, and not an issue with, but we've had conversations with about their concerns have come back to me six or seven months later and said they get less trouble now than they did before when it was rented to a single let family. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you're absolutely right. There is a misconception. Sometimes people think HMOs, they are going to be problem houses. They're going to have the police there. They're going to be antisocial behavior, etc. Now, that's not to say that doesn't exist because I'm sure it does. But certainly with um, the strategy and the demographic of tenant that we have, very much like yourself, it couldn't be any far removed from that. You know, we do do professional tenants. They are very low maintenance. Tracy, yeah. I've had a little sneak peek in your LinkedIn profile, um, as any reputable police officer would before, <laughs> before interviewing somebody. And on your LinkedIn profile, it says um, you've got a statement on there that says your network is your net worth. So what does that mean? Oh, gosh, it means that you just have to talk to everybody about what you do. <laughs> Why? Why do you do that? that? Uh, networking has been fundamental for me in my, my growth, my education, um, being able to help other people too. Um, it's not all about what I get out of it. It's what I can offer to other people. And, you know, networking was always a big thing two or three times a week I would be out networking and I still continue to do that 
today because I'm a great believer in it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. And I could be talking to you today, Rick, and I could say something and you say, oh, well, actually, I might not need your help on that, but I do know somebody that does. And every person knows so many other people and expanding that network means that your net worth will automatically go up because it does. What goes around comes around. You know, money is is linked to giving value and helping people and talking to people at network events. I get no more, I get more pleasure from actually standing there talking to somebody and giving them a little nugget of information that means that they won't make one of the mistakes that I've made. You know what, Tracy, what about, I know there's going to be some people listening to this um, with their ears very pert at the moment, thinking, well, you know what, I really want to go out networking and, and I know it makes sense, but I'm just not that way inclined. I don't like talking to strangers. What advice could you give people that are in that position? Um, I think that it's got to be just do it. Sometimes we have to get uncomfortable in life to to move to the next level. And, and I do believe that within the world of property in particular, networking could not be more enjoyable once you actually put yourself through that. Yeah, walking into a room, maybe select some smaller, more local networks rather than going to some of the bigger, well-known ones and start small, but actually you'll find that the people in property are just so open and friendly and welcoming, helpful. Um, People want to help each other, and that is one of the beauties about the world of property, I believe. So get out there and do it, but start small. Go to the smaller networks. Fantastic. On your LinkedIn profile, you've also put something that confused me just a little bit. So I'm going to ask you this question. You say on your LinkedIn profile that you are in love with soil stacks. What what does that mean, in love with soil stacks? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't sound great, does it? (laughs) I'm a bit confused, Tracy. Well, the reason that I, uh, that was one of my blog posts, I think, that I put out about soil stacks. And um, I always make it very clear to people when you are assessing a property if you want to consider doing some hate some uh, on suites in the hmo then you need to know where the soil stack is <laughs> so um how to identify where a soil stack is and very often you know you see or you hear of people that buy a property don't think about where the Uh, where the services are, if you like, not just the soil stack, but the the services themselves. So where is the water? Where are the soil stacks? To enable them to then turn that into an all-on-suite HMO, it's going to cost them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of pounds because they're going to end up having to dig up floors and lower ceilings and do all sorts of things. Whereas actually, if you identify where those services are initially, it can help you to determine what's going to be the easier route. And, you know, with any HMO project, I always used to say to people, yes, you can do anything you want if you're prepared to pay as much money as you want or you need to at it. But you've still got to balance what is important to you from that project. So do you want to put in £100,000 and have all en suite rooms because you've had to work out, I mean, in that particular project I described earlier, the soil stacks were so well located, they could not have been better. And there were actually two soil stacks in the property. So it was really good. It worked out really well. 
But in another project that I did um, in Luton, actually, that was horrendous. We had to, the floors were being dug up in this property because this owner wanted to put um, the en suites in every room and ceilings being loaded, et cetera, which costs thousands and thousands of pounds more. So it is, you've got to look at yeah. the... The difference between them so that's why and the phrase you know i love soil stacks as it did with you it's going to make people go what does, yeah what does that mean exactly okay what a great answer so that's why you love soil stacks and you do have to take these things into consideration um you know what do you think the future of hmos are um do you think they're here to stay do you think you know there seems to be a lot of competition um as well for, for private individuals and professional investors at the moment lots of people going out there trying new things what are your thoughts on the future of hmos tracy well i think unfortunately with the um changes in the regulations and the planning obviously article 4 being implemented in a lot more areas again what we talked about earlier with the individual room um, council tax banding it could actually ruin a lot of people being having the ability to do HMOs. I don't think you're ever going to get rid of them. I think there's a need for them. Um, I think it will become harder. And in fact, earlier this year, I went to a, a property networking event and there were they were talking about the different strategies in property and they were saying that every strategy, you know, you, it becomes a new thing and it's launched and everybody starts talking about it. Everybody starts wanting to learn about it and everybody starts doing it. And you, so you start on the gradual rise of them and then eventually it literally does peak. So you will hit the top of that curve and then it will actually start coming down. And then when they talked about HMOs, they said that the one thing that you can um, look at with regard to HMOs and say, is this, has it hit the peak and is it starting to tail off where HMOs won't be such a popular thing? The best way of doing that is to actually look at the rents that you get in. And if your rents start to drop, that means, and you get, find it harder to fill your rooms, the demand has reached, reached its, um, it, or the, what we're providing has reached its peak, the demand is slackening off and actually you're not achieving as much rent, then probably HMOs are nearing the end of their life and there won't be as many of them around. And I think a combination of things will mean that that happens. But it's the same with any property strategy, I believe, that you it will go through a cycle. And, you know, years ago, people were doing the, the buy, refinance immediately and, and have no money left in. That can't happen now because the mortgage lenders won't allow that to happen. Things change and we have to adapt as property professionals to whatever is thrown at us. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We, 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 ha we, we do have to adapt. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think that, you know, we do live on an island. We're not building any more land. The population yeah. is increasing. We have a massive shortage of housing stock. So um, I, I agree with, you know, the, the competition side of things is going to to change the way we do things but there are some people out there at the moment <clears throat> excuse me doing um the co-living sort of strategy where they're um they've got sort of co-living spaces almost like coffee shops and, and meeting areas in houses and they're doing them up to a you know an extremely high standard have you seen those i have i've seen lots of them in fact i've been in some of them and um some of them are absolutely amazing what they what they put into them it's like living in a hotel 
um, with everything around you that you actually need. I, I'm quite impressed by some of the uh, projects that people do, you know, taking some of the commercial buildings and converting them. And do you do- think that might be the way forward, Tracy? Do you think that's, that's the way the industry is going to go and do we need to step our game up? I do actually believe that it is the way forward. I think the world, um, with regard to professionals, and that's our market, um, the world of professionals is changing and the environment of a working life is changing too. There's a lot more entrepreneurs um, and there are a lot more people that work from home because even you know very well-established companies don't need to have huge office space because people can work remotely and do everything remotely with the technology that we have available to us. It's easy to do that. So why pay out for large office spaces for people to come and sit in them when actually if they're living in an environment where there is some working space available to them, they they get the, the plus side of that. People are more concerned about, I believe, young professionals. You know, they're looking at how they can socialize, who they're going to meet around their own age, which is great in that sort of environment. If they can work in that environment, sleep in that environment, eat in that environment, play in that environment, i.e. social environments like pool tables and, um, you know, somewhere to go and sit and have a drink or somewhere to go and sit and have a meal together, then... That, that's great. So I do actually believe that it could be the way forward and maybe we do have to step up our game. Mm, I do. I mean, I've seen some of them myself as well and I think they are absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's something that I certainly wouldn't mind my family living in, you know, my daughter when, she, when she's at university, etc. So, yeah, perhaps that is the way forward. So that brings me on to your thoughts on Minimos. Um, for those that don't know what Minimos are, um, we call Minimos sort of anything really up to four bedrooms, don't we? So the smaller yeah. side HMOs and that are um, more cost effective to develop and turn into um, shared accommodation. Do you do any minimos? My first one was, um, but I've not done any since, purely and simply because the the return on investment wasn't good enough for me. Um, so I think with with minimos again, you know, although I'm not really a numbers person and don't do the detail on the numbers. You can, you've got a high-level view of what numbers work for you and what you're putting in when you're buying a property versus conversion costs and then obviously the return that you get out of that project. I, I got to the point where you know that first project, it worked because it was easy for me to do. As a first HMO, although it was a minimum at the time, um, it was easy for me to do without as many... Uh, problems I suppose and actually it worked well it worked I believe minimos work really well because there are a smaller number of people in them however are they the best at giving you a return if you're in the right area and you're not paying as much for the property yes within Stevenage no I wouldn't say they are not for me personally However, Stevenage is definitely not a place that you would invest for single-let properties anymore. And families do need homes, so there aren't private investors investing because they're too expensive. You don't just don't get a very good return on them. Yeah, so maybe... Very- 
And Minimo is the middle ground, if you like. Yeah, so, you know, brief synopsis on that then. So great to learn with um, if you're learning your cutting your teeth with, with HMOs. It is going to be area specific, depending on how much you're getting the property for. Tracy, let's talk about books. Do you read a lot of books? I do. Do I've you? a lot of books. Okay. Over, in particular, since 2012. So What was the last I book you read? A Kindle that is full of books that... <laughs> are all very much personal development books, in all honesty. Um, uh, some business-related books as well, because obviously building businesses, you have to continue to learn. Um, it's even, I mean, I remember back in 2012 being encouraged to read and learn from other people that have gone through things. And, and that can be personal development to build yourself up and, and believe that you can achieve because... It is true that you can learn anything you like in a classroom, but you've got to do it and you've also got to believe you can do it. And if you don't believe in yourself, then you're not going to make a success of anything. What was the last book you read, Tracy? The last book I read was The Chic Entrepreneur. Do you know the author's name? Uh, oh, gosh, the author's name. Uh, no idea. Okay, Can't the think. chic entrepreneur. And what yeah. is your all-time favourite book? Um, my all-time favourite has got to be Rich Dad Poor Dad because that's the book that changed my thinking completely. So Rich Dad Poor Dad, I think that was one of the very first mindset books that I read as well. And I think yeah. in the first chapter when they were going through the um, the scenarios of working in shops and uh, etc., it kind of gripped me straight yeah. away. So yeah, it's going to be a you know an all time classic. So Tracy, last question. We do like to uh, to add a little bit to the end of the interviews. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Yeah, I'm a dog person. And have you got any dogs? I haven't at the moment, but I have had in the past. So you hear it here first, everyone. Tracy is a dog person. Tracy, um, it's been an absolutely fantastic interview. Um, you know, we've uh, we've covered an awful lot there. I could probably do another hour and a half at least with you because I think you know you're so interesting, and you're so easy to talk to, and you've got a wealth of experience. If the listeners would like to contact you, how can they do that? Um, probably the best way is to contact me via Facebook. That's the um, the platform that I'm most um, active on, I suppose. So either, you know, obviously add me as a friend and um, message me and I'd be more than happy to chat to anybody, help them if I can, answer any questions and obviously through uh, forums like your own. Okay, so Tracy Tracy Woods, isn't it, on Facebook? Um, is it? Tr yeah, Tracy HMO. Tracy Woods HMO. Tracy Woods HMO. So that's where you can contact Tracy, folks. An absolute wealth of experience in the HMO and conversion world. So fantastic, Tracy. I want to thank you um, again. And um, thanks for joining us. Have a really, really great day. Thank you for having me, Rick. Bye-bye. If you are interested in any of our property mentoring services, then please contact me via my website, which is www.com newerapropertysolutions.co.uk and please don't forget to take a look at my five times best-selling book House Arrest. House Arrest is a manual for new property investors which shows you how you can replace your income by investing in property. That's available on Kindle, it's available on paperback and it's also available on the Audible store.